of working in other areas of life which clearly and hopefully obviously are also in the process of change. And a core aspect of the teaching is to remember owing to change not one of those changes which takes place is worth clinging to. Not one of them. Because that which we witness, that which we experience, whatever that is, is subject to change. Not because it changes of itself, because there is no itself. It changes because of the multiplicity of events going on which bring about the change. And therefore the teachings of liberation are a teaching which recognises the dynamics of change, of becoming, of things being like this, moving to this, being like this, and recognising regardless of our will, regardless of our desires, regardless of our wishes, these changes take place and in that movement of change in life not one of them, not one, is worth clinging to. And when we cling to that which is vulnerable to change, good luck. If we hold on to one thing, got an idea of how it should be and how it should stay, there, there's going to be trouble. So our quiet inner subtlety of the experiences of moment-to-moment change or a certain experiences of change taking place sitting, walking, standing and reclining in, because it's subtle there though it's not especially important though it's not gosh I've got to let go of this whatever it is it's just that the regularity of the witnessing of this is a training so that it comes from the deep quite quickly. Well, let me be with this process of change without any clinging. The subtlety is the um, indication, it is the support for lots of other things as well, to see that in the same way, including our life including the big changes that are going on on this earth, this ecosystem that we are living in. <clears throat> the teachings give much emphasis on the middle way. And what I would like to take a couple of minutes here, there, to the outer and to the inner. And this is in relationship to food. So there is the outer. The outer is what we eat and in that for the welfare of the larger outer our ecosystem, the ecology of life it's really worth giving consideration to what we eat and, and the uh, amount that we eat but what I've actually got in mind uh, here is more inner 
More inner, in this case, once again, means subtle. So, caring, thoughtful human being, she, he, we, give a reflection about what is worth eating, what is not worth uh, uh, eating. And there's the um, nutritious nutrition scientists uh, told us and reminded us as a very small example of the outer. Human being who, who eats a lot of meat, who eats a lot of uh, junk food and hamburgers and all of that, there is a very, very significant increase in the fat deposits in the bloodstream which has a very destructive and damaging affecting effect on people's health. That's what the food, some aspects of what the food industry does to us. It's not feeding us, it's poisoning us. So we wish to be, take real care about our relationship to the outer. And then when, we, when, then when we come to the inner, the middle way here, the middle way on the retreat is a middle way between not indulging and over-eating uh, uh, there, despite um, the, if I may say, the delicious food which is uh, uh, offered to us at uh, lunch, at lunchtime, and so, sometimes the amount of food that people may have on their plate is so much. I'm surprised they don't get back strain carrying their plate to the chair, uh, etc. But the other extreme, so there needs that moderation uh, there. And as uh, one of my heroes, Jesus said, "The last shall be first. And this is in relationship to the queue for food at the uh, the wedding in Cana in uh, near Galilee, a couple of thousand years ago, and in that sometimes those who are first in the queue, you know, see in this case large bowls of uh, food, but forget, oh, there are twenty or just over twenty people behind me in the queue. And it gets a bit, can get a bit thinner on the ground there. So, those who are last shall be first. So, in selflessness, we are modest, we are moderate, and there's a, therefore there is love, there is kindness, because we say, ah yes, there is the one who is last. This is a, you know, a profound political, social, economic teaching in this world. It's not just a sweet thought on a retreat. It's about a rotten, unfair system in which a third of these people are forgotten and neglected because the first have taken a huge slab of this world. It may be a hundred billionaires or so. That's what we're talking about. This is on the outer. Sometimes, I know myself, years in the monkhood, some will move, be mindful of this, to the other end of the spectrum. It is called fasting. It happens quite regularly, most retreats. Some question, perhaps the daughter, of myself, or neither of us in relationship to uh, fasting. And some 
So my response would be middle way, middle way between zero food and overeating. Uh, and then some will say to me, oh, Christopher, I hear that, you know, I heard the voice regularly, enough, um, I, I, I fast, and when I fast, I really feel good about myself. When I fast, and I have one day, two days, three days, five days, seven days, ten days, or whatever it is, uh, I go through, of course I might go through some real tiredness at the end and so, but I really begin to feel good about myself and then one goes back to eating uh, etc it's missing the point first of all it's not a feel good practice anyway if that's not clear by the end of the first day one it should be clear now if we wanted a feel-good practice, we'd do 10 or 15 minutes of meditation and take an hour to recover from it. There are a few trees like, like that. Anyway, I won't go into all of that. So there is the inner here. In rejection of something which is nutritious, the rejection of is a reaction to couched in I am fasting language and in that reaction to that that reaction is a resistance to that which is nutritious human beings need require not only the substance of healthy food for us but we need the nourishing aspect of it as well. And it happens quite a lot that in that rejection which is carried in it, that resistance, that not wanting there, that leaves some residue of impression. And the outcome of that, very, very easily is when there is a situation which one rejects which one puts down including oneself that which was rejected before called nutritious food for an X number of days it will feed it will add to the rejection about what one doesn't like about oneself because there is rejection in the act. And this rejection, humanly enough, but this rejection of this in the, uh, uh, in the act, it then it's kind of two steps forward, two steps back. There's no substitute for a modest uh, relationship to food, chewing it well, seeing the nutritious aspect in which one is neither grabbing hold of, which is overeating, or rejection of putting it away from, which is stopping overeating, and both of them are problematic. Because human beings, we live on the nutrition of life. There are certain situations, certain situations where health reasons and other reasons may be uh, worth, uh, worthwhile but be very careful of the dark, the shadow in the being 
particularly with that which is nutritious. In, so sometimes people here, if you wish just to eat fruit, and that's what your diet is here, it's uh, fine with me. You know. If you just wish to eat um, whatever that's on the menu, rice or porridge, fine. But to allow some new, real nutrition in there so that one's quite clear there's nothing of the old against something. We are exploring liberation which is freedom from the, this duality of pursuing and pushing away from. We're exploring this. <clears throat> In the exploration of the outer to the inner Always the thrust, the journey, the going uh, deeper uh, is the, shall we call it, the direction. And what I mean in the exploration of, the, of this is a mindfulness of the outer can serve as a doorway for the inner. That's what have in mind. There is the, the outer, one of the outer aspects of this is our role, roles. Yeah. So we have a, a variety of the roles. The role of the daughter, the role of the son, the role of the mother, the role of the father perhaps, the role of the relative, the role of, uh, in this case, the teacher, the role of the friend. So in the movement and the exploration of life there is a formation, that's the role, which emerges and the roles for all of us are quite important, clearly. The role requires another who has a role which is parallel to the role. Has to be. So if I have the role of the quote-unquote teacher, then there will be the role of quote-unquote student or meditator or yogi or practitioner. So the formation of one carries with it the formation of the other. They're mutually supportive, mutually connected. One can't be a father without a child. In that way. One can be, just a sideways step for a moment here, um, number of conversations which take place with myself or other teachers, women teachers, men teachers, is there something quite deep in the human being, not with all but with me, of the love and appreciation to care for. There's a the fatherly role or the motherly role or the caring role. And for some of a certain age, there's quite a variation yeah, in the age, we, miss, we may wish to express that through the role in its biological expression. Become a mother, biologically. Become a father, bio, uh, biologically. And of course many, many do. Others have that wish. It can be quite a strong movement within the being 
to be a biological mother, a biological uh, uh, father. But it can be that the circumstances and the day of events, that that isn't happening there. And for some, it can be quite painful and difficult and a certain uncertainty uh, and perhaps insecurity that goes with it. That which I would like to become, this means the parent, that which I would like to become isn't happening and the thought may arise, oh, time, days, years are passing by. Life in its precious and in its extraordinary. Uh, there are other ways to look after and take care of without being in a biological mode. And sometimes people find that with contacting work with children, people find it with animals and pets, people find it in forms of public service and giving support to, to others, in which one has a very caring, compassionate, dedicated role for the welfare of the other. It's a parental role, it's a caring for role, it's a loving role. And in this time and age that we live in, when I first came to India, the population in 1967 was 539 million people. That was after the census in the previous year. It's now around 1,200 to 1,300 million people. There are important global reflections for those uh, women uh, and, and men who really wish to be a parent, and certainly why not. We need wise, loving kids in the world who can grow up to be very caring uh, adults. But we also need, and quite a number of my women friends and a number of uh, my men friends have quietly made the decision in their life that they wish to find ways of giving, offering, servicing, parenting, we might say, um, being there available for the welfare of others, and have made the decision, I do not wish to be a mother, in the biological sense, nor a father, and to allow um, other ways to care for people, animals and the environment. And that's very precious. Another friends in this area say to me, well, I'm not saying absolutely no. I'm not saying with this, this kind of biological role, absolutely yes, I must have. I'll just see how it unfolds. It may happen or it may not. And there's an opportunity with that kind of middle ground as uh, well, or the other to express there, just to let life uh, unfold and trust in that. Rumi, the great uh, Iranian poet, precious one-line statement, there are a hundred ways to kiss the earth. It's a very famous statement. That's the translation by Coleman Barr, who is the translator. It's not the actual what Rumi actually said. But we'll forget Coleman Barr said that. What he, what he actually said was that there are hundred ways to bow down in the mosque. 
That's the actual text. There. Doesn't matter. Either way is lovely. Sweet metaphor. So rather than imprison ourselves to one model of parenting, there are a hundred ways. Keep the exploration expansive and it might include uh, that. But it doesn't have to. Right, having got that off my chest, I'll get back to what the answer is. <clears throat> In the exploration, as mentioned, when you find sometimes the mind wandering or in the story or whatever it may be about a role or function which you have which then moves and in that it may engage the other sometimes we imagine we think we know the other whoever he or she may, may be, and it might be because we've been so a relative, let, let us say. The unfortunate thing with all the entertainment that goes on in the meditations around somebody that you've perhaps known for weeks, months or years, that we imagine that if we say this, she or he will say that. And then when she or he says that, then I'm going to say this. The difficulty is with this marvellous fantasy is the other person never keeps to the script. That's the problem with the view. I know what she will say when I say to her. I know what he will say when I say to him. We don't. So this outer constructs that we uh, make there to really if we can remember enough mindfulness this is a construct under the influence of certain tendencies certain movements and formations but this is a construct Dharma teaching point to the unconstructable That's how we go deep. From the wave, which is kind of constructed, into the deep of the ocean. In the outer, again, little, little um, history here, if I may. We sometimes fail to appreciate perhaps with ourselves that others can't really know us. We have the idea sometimes that we've got a kind of private little world inside um, which is not accessible nor, uh, nor available. I'm not quite sure, so convinced that the line is so absolute between what's inside and what's uh, revealed outside there. Of course we were probably all very grateful at this time that these researchers and scientists can't plug something onto our head, then we sit in meditation 
whatever comes up in our mind suddenly appears on the big screen in the, in the Dharma Hall, etc. We would probably be horrified. The self would squirm with embarrassment at what's going on inside and then it's projected onto the, to the screen with all the thoughts and the words, uh, etc. It would certainly make all Hollywood films a thing of the past, wouldn't it? Nothing quite like the fantasies that human beings can get up to in their meditations. And, yeah, who, my God, who needs Netflix just to put one's own on the screen? And, whoa! <laughs> etc. So... When I was a monk, this is the story. <coughs> the Ajahn, Ajahn means teacher. Dhamma daro, Dhamma daro, power of Dharma. So we would sit there with him in a circle, yeah, small group meetings, I'd have the uh, translator being uh, English, there's a lack of DNA with regard to learning foreign languages. And sometimes a person would come from the main gate who the teacher, perhaps us, had not met before, usually a Thai, of course, we're in <coughs> 16 hours south of Bangkok in rural Thailand. The monastery didn't have the most exciting of names. It was called Wat Chai Na. It literally means the monastery at the end of the rice paddy. Do you know how many rice paddies there are in Thailand? Sorry I could have thought up something a bit more adventurous, but anyway, we're in the monastery at the end of the rice paddy. And someone would come in, this is the point, and Ajahn Damodro would look across at this person walking in, who he'd never seen before, and give us a description of their personality. And sometimes, initially, it was just on the outer. So if, for example, the person was walking fast, rather tense, a bit aggressively, uh, no, not, uh, uh, rather fast and tense, and especially that the front of the foot was hitting the ground, Hitting the ground, you would say there. He said, he said, there's some aggression here, there's some agitation here, some negativity here. And others might walk into the there. And he or she is kind of, body is walking all over the place, eyes are looking around, scratching the back of the neck. You know, feet are going off in different directions, etc., etc. You know, a lot of confusion in here, uh, lack of harmony in here. And another person would be uh, uh, walking in, and the walking in on the heels, on the back end of the, not the front end, but the back end there. They'd look and they'd say, "Well, this person has a lot of self-interest." This, this person just pulls back all the time into themselves, etc. Then others would walk in and walk, you know, rather mindfully. And sometimes you can say, well, this person is walking in with some 
kindness and compassion. This person isn't impatient. This person is actually just being present and available. And when the person came in, of course, monks and nuns sitting in a circle were really curious. Because, is he right on the ball today? And so the person might join the small group. Quite often, pretty accurate, just on the body language. To go even, that's the outer again, to go even more subtle, there are people, humans, who's not actually in the viewing of the other, in the more subtle, there can be a certain kind of unformulated receptivity of the being to a wavelength, to uh, having a sense intuitively and, and deeply, not a feeling, which easily gets confused, or a resonance or a frequency and there's something very precious and deep about these kind of uh, connections it might reveal something precious and beautiful in her or him or them it might pick up something blocked or problematic or, or, or whatever and this in the depths of the calm of the being it will have some touch and impact uh, upon us uh, there and it's a quiet task in that receptivity not to get caught up in a story about or in a uh, uh, go off on a uh, load of thinking about or get a little bit afraid of not to underestimate human beings in the inner and therefore more deeply to actually sense and know and pick up what is happening around in the inner of the other a friend of mine <coughs> Burmese father, scientist English uh, mother, he's in his 40s and he's um, extremely good with computers and very kindly for some years has been uh, looking after the computer. One of the monks, another friend who's skilled with the computers and looks after them at Gaia House, after 16 years as a monk from the age of 29 to 45 and he disrobed and went back into what some will refer to as back into the real world I didn't have had this view but anyway back into the real world and he said to me we were having some coffee together not so long after he disrobed he said after being a monk 16 years with Ajahn Sumedho Ajahn Chah in that, that Theravada tradition he said went back into the real world and uh, he decided uh, he wasn't really enjoying the real world so he said, uh, I became a computer expert so I could go and live in cyberspace. <laughs> Some of us can relate to that very well. And um, perhaps that's, that's why there's such good computer people around. They prefer cyberspace to spend most of their time. It's another world, 
frankly, why not? Anyway, so there's situation of the connection and the relating to, but, and sometimes we can sense and pick up the frequencies and the vibrations and the reverberations, which is very similar to science. We do not need science to give us the authority of what reality is. We are human. We have the right to know it for ourselves. We don't need to put it out there to scientists. And the example that I gave in the animal kingdom of my good computer person takes his wife to the hospital. She has to visit quite regularly. In the visit quite regularly, their dog is on the back seat of the car. The car is parked more than 100 metres from the entrance. He and the dog wait in the car while she goes to the hospital. She's having a checkup. The dog's lying there, 100 metres away. She walks out of the hospital and the dog goes from the horizontal posture looking. He knows she's just left the hospital. Can't see her, he knows. He picks it up and his ears are up, he's up. First time, my good friend thought it was a coincidence, but not second time, third time. There are deep intuitions and residences in the deep of things where we, other senses and sensitivities and receptivities and communications can take place. Very precious. Frequencies, reverberations, resonances, wavelengths. Just as the scientists tell us, we can know as well in the deep. In the outer to the inner, how am I doing for time? Not bad. In the outer to the inner which takes place, uh, there. there may be a little time for some of the constructs I referred to, the roles. There isn't the importance of reducing the fantasy life. It is important to know the difference between a fantasy and um, a creative initiative which emerges in your meditation. And it's very easy to tell the difference between the two. With the fantasy, it just goes on a roll. And at some point, we either get bored with it or we say, enough, enough, do not want to live in the false. But the creative imagination, the creative idea, the, uh, the spark from within, the confirmation it is not a fantasy is that it finds, it's got the power to it, it finds its expression in the world. It makes a difference. It's an authentic contribution in some way or other. And that recognition, this is just a fantasy, and that recognition, this is a creative idea, you know it, know it by its application. The application is the statement of the fact. It is the truth of the situation there. So the deep, with the outer, in this world of roles, 
states of mind, reactions to those things I've mentioned with you today, belong to the outer, will take some work and clarity and understanding. We'll take some reflection, what's the middle way here? And those times when there's the depth and it's more with the inner rather than just the outer expressions of the human being, that depth is endless. That depth is as deep as this universe. That's remarkable. So the self may arise sometimes and say, Aha, I got it. Oh, no, you haven't. If one's got it, you've just frozen it. There is no it to get. The depth is expensive. <coughs> So, here we are, finally, giving some interest to what is presented, respectful of the various roles that we have, perhaps expanding the roles to see other ways, there are a hundred ways to kiss the earth, exploring more uh, deeply uh, with these areas, and of course, as mentioned earlier, the breathing in and the breathing out at the moment is that um, space which we use as a grounding principle, as a centering principle, in order to stay steady and in the steadiness of things much will be revealed. Let's have our quiet minute together, shall we please? May all beings explore and understand the presentations of our outer being. May all beings be receptive to the depth of our inner being. May all beings engage in the full embrace of all.